So tonight the topic is overflow of holiness. Overflow into holiness? Overflow of holiness. I typed it. I should have remembered it. Overflow of holiness. We want to trust the Lord for an overflow of holiness. Now, don't switch me off. You're like, yes, God, you're using the church word, you know. Um, God, I use such religious words. Holiness is a big deal. We're going to have a look at it tonight. Um, and I do want an overflow of holiness. And it's a lot more exciting than it might sound at first. But I want to set a proper context. Um, and the Lord dropped this in my heart as we were praying something um, I believe Tisha said or something somebody said um, so I want to drop this context and Pastor Louis said something similar this morning so as we begin to look at the holiness of God and what it means for us I just want to begin by looking at the awesomeness of God now, don't switch me off now oh awesome I'm not talking about a good pizza Right. And I'm talking about, right. We need we're going to just have a look at this because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if I have never seen God enough that my knees knock scripturally, I'm still an idiot because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, so stick with me here. I'm just going to read it to save time, because if I get excited and talk about it, we're going to be here till tomorrow morning. So is it OK with you guys if I just read this? All right. Gaze with me at the Grand Canyon. If y'all don't know what that is, Google it. Full of wonder from the large second floor window at Eagle Point in Arizona, looking over the Grand Canyon, what words come to mind? Majestic, wondrous, breathtaking. But descend with me to the first floor and walk out onto Eagle Point's glass-bottomed Grand Canyon skywalk, which extends 70 feet away from the wall over the 3,000 foot abyss beneath you. And other adjectives come to the party. Terrifying, dizzying, breathless. How can one describe something that is both beautiful and dreadful, magnificent and menacing, wonderful and terrible? 17th century England had a word that captured this paradox of emotion, and that word is awesome. <laughs> to those living in the Tudors, England, awesome didn't come to mind after a great theater performance or a delicious pizza, if they had pizza. But when one beheld something that could both amaze you and kill you, a lion, a great white shark, the cliffs of Dover, or God. C.S. Lewis's beaver tells us in his enduring brogue what it means that God is awesome. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Between 1604 and 1611, when William Shakespeare was writing some of his most influential plays, 47 scholars worked to produce an English translation of the Bible that would be both accessible to the public and faithful to the original text, not having the word awesome at their disposal, because it only emerged about 80 years later. They used words like terrible and dreadful to describe our God and his magnificent greatness. 
God our Father is unmatched. His strength is both terrifying and amazing. He's not safe, but he's good. God is awesome. Amen? God, you're so good. God, you're so good. And then the context in the shadow of that greatness and terrifying power and goodness of God. Let's look at his holiness tonight. And this is what Letitia said um, before that also got me. As we look into it, please don't impress your perception of holiness on the Lord. But I trust tonight that you and I will allow the Lord to impress his holiness on us. Lord, change me. Lord, show me yourself. Man, if you've ever really laid eyes on him, man, you've never forgotten it. Amen? So in the light of that, we've been talking so much. How many of y'all are about tired as I am of hearing this phrase, new normal? New normal, right? New normal, new normal. This morning, Pastor Louis preached on the holiness of God, and he began by talking about new normal, and I just loved it, so I stole it from him. Um, I chatted to him after church. I said, I'm going to go, I'm going to now go and, and, um, and um, craft my stealing of your everything, my plagiarism of everything you said this morning. Not really, but pretty close. New normal this, new normal that. According to the new normal this, we're adjusting to the new normal. Things will never be the same as they were before 2020. I'm so tired of hearing that. And you know what? Normal is constantly changing anyway. As cultures and societies evolve around us, for example, did you know this? High-heeled shoes were dude's shoes. Did y'all know that? That's right. 400 years ago, if you was a rich white dude in Europe, you had high-heeled shoes. The higher your heels were, the richer you were. Woo! That's for real. Norms change. I was told this afternoon that pink was the color for boys. And somehow or another, that changed. all this stuff is just social constructs. It's just, it's just, and it changes constantly here and there. Oh, Anna, you weren't supposed to go yet. Hey, this is King Louis XIV, all in his awesome royal power before his head was cut off a few years later. All right? Notice the high-heeled shoes, and as Sam already showed you, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the yoga pants. Yeah. Things change, right? We thought the women started wearing normal yoga pants in public. Nah, we fellas were before y'all by hundreds of years, right? And if what is considered normal changes every generation or so, or lately every five years, or every five days it feels like sometimes, it's no wonder that postmodern thinkers push back against this idea of normality. They don't want to hear it. They feel like this idea of a consensus normal is a threat to their individuality or their uniqueness. And why sacrifice my uniqueness for something that's constantly changing anyway? But the truth is we can have both. We can exist within certain boundaries of, of a normal while at the same time embracing our uniqueness and diversity. We can have both. I'm the kind of guy, I like to have my cake and eat it. I asked for something the other day, and someone said, yes, but you want your toast buttered on both sides, Nick? I said, I do. I like butter. <laughs> you come to my house. Man, I'm like, my hands are so full of, because I'm buttering both sides. We can do it, man, right? We can live in a normal, and we can be unique. And I have an example. I can prove it. Throughout human history, there has been a norm that humans do not fly without the assistance of external machines. 
No human has ever broken that norm. Yet look, even in just this room, at the incredible diversity and uniqueness of our expression just in this room. We can have both, y'all. We can have a normal that we, that we live within and we can, um, we can express things. And as normal changes, as humans, our normal changes depending on where we are in the world. You know, where I come from, it's normal to greet like this. There's a couple of nations where this is like flipping somebody off with the middle finger, right? You don't do this there. You know, it's all there's there's depending on where you are, the normal changes. And then depending on what day it is, the normal changes. You know, um, like I said, in 400 years ago, dudes were wearing high heels and girls were considered um, um, inappropriate if they let their ankles show in public. Right. That's changed. It changed a lot. Every every day it feels like something's normal changes. But I want to tell you tonight, there is a normal that has not changed ever ever and we're going to rediscover this normal tonight i like to call it the first normal as we rediscover this we can discover the purest and greatest expression of our humanity our own unique reflection of the character of the god who created us how many of y'all want some of that that's why we're looking at the holiness of god because holiness is God's normal. That's what it is. Holiness is God's normal. Isn't that amazing? You thank Pastor Louie for that. Tonight we sang, He is holy. Holy is such a church word. The first time I ever heard it, I was in church. And usually, can we be real for a minute? Is that okay? Can y'all handle it? When I hear that word outside of church, it's, it's normally just something like, holy crap. Right? Or, or somebody complaining about, about religious haughtiness. Well, he's just a holier than thou. Right? People don't say that word outside of church. But my first hearing of it was in church. Right? Um, and I don't think the way we use it outside of church. Holy cow. Is that better? I'm going to get in trouble for saying the other word. Right? I don't think those words are faithful. They don't think those words capture what it means that God is holy. So in the Hebrew... The Hebrew word, and I did study this myself this week. <laughs> the Hebrew word for holy is kadosh. I just don't know how to say it because I'm a Hebrew linguist. Um, kadosh. It means to be cut off, to be separate. Not in an ugly way. It means to be in a class all of one's own. Right? Some of y'all have opinions about football clubs that are in a class of their own. Man U, baby. Okay? Liverpool. Hey, it's a class of one's own, right? Or, um, or in World Cup, you know, ah, oh, it's going to be Germany, right? There's nobody like Germany. And a few years ago, everyone was texting about World Cup. Deutschland. You're like, nah, it's going to be Brazil. And I texted, I got two words for you people. Bafana, Bafana. <laughs> To be the class of one's own. And I'm going to tell you what, when we say God is holy, we're saying there's nobody like him. He's holy. He's in a class all of his own. The second meaning of kadosh is to be eternally, morally pure all the time and in every way possible. Ain't nobody can do that but God. An angel can't do that. You and I show can't do that. It's just God. So when we say he's holy, we're not saying that he's unapproachable. But we're going to look at that later. How come we feel that way? 
right? We're going to look at that. I mean, he's, we're not saying he's some sacred cow. I mean, when you go into India and there's all these places that you can't approach because it's sacred to one of their three and a half million gods or something. No, it's bigger than that. We are saying that God is in a class all of his own. He is other than us or any other created thing, discovered or undiscovered in the entire known or unknown universe or multiverse, if there is such a thing if you're a Marvel fan. And we are saying that he is eternally pure. Listen to this. God has never been tainted with any character other than his own. Nobody else can say that. He isn't like anything else. He isn't like anyone else. All the other things can only hope to be like him. As someone else said earlier, if there ever was an OG, it's God. Everybody else is a cheap counterfeit. We just wish we could be like the OG. God is holy. Holiness is God's normal. It's his MO. It's how he rolls. It's how he thinks. It's a standard by which he makes decisions and the grid through which he communicates. He doesn't work at it like some kind of corporate employee trying to cram everything into the filter of their company's values. It's not work for God. It's the natural expression. It's the normal outflow of who he is. Holiness is God's normal. So how do we get to this place where God's holiness and where we feel like God himself is somehow unapproachable? And as we look at that tonight, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the deviation, the return, and the overflow. Right? And then we'll be done. Then we'll go home. Right? The deviation, the return, and the overflow. And I just want to illustrate, what about this unapproachableness? See, I had a friend when I was a kid. My mom worked at a courthouse. Right? And, you know, there's all kind of legal things going on and legal people. And we had a friend who was the county judge. Right? Actually, the district judge. So she had authority when she sat on her seat over something like, um, like 50,000, 60,000 people all around, you know? But when she wasn't sitting on that seat, it was just Miss Oakley, you know, so I was hanging out with Miss Oakley. And one time I happened to be at, at my mom's workplace and I walked in to um, a room that, that was pretty normally unoccupied. And when I walked in there, it was really busy. It was a courtroom and there was Miss Oakley. I was like, oh, and I started to walk up to her and then all of a sudden something gripped me. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm just a kid and I'm looking around and she is on a bench up kind of high and exalted, you know what I'm saying, above everything else. And she's wearing these robes. And all of a sudden, I feared to approach her. Then I saw the bailiff with big muscles and a nightstick, and I really feared to approach her, you know. All in that moment, she was other than me, and, I, and she was unapproachable, right? And all of a sudden, I felt like I couldn't, get, I couldn't get near her, right? I couldn't, whoa, what is that, you know, because she is on one side of the law, and I am on the other, and we're going to look at this deviation, the deviation. When God created the heavens and the earth, I learned this from Pastor Louie this morning. When God created the heavens and the earth, including us, he created all of it, including us, in line, listen, with his holy character. And to reflect and display his holy character. So there was a time, guys, there was a time when holiness was the universal normal. Now, today, when you're holy, people think you're a freak. Man, what's wrong with that dude, right? Holiness is weird, we think. We think holiness is awkward today. We think holiness is strange. No, holiness is normal. 
The whole world going to hell in a handbasket. I ain't going to go with you. Right? I got a normal. My normal was first. My normal older than your normal. My normal smarter than your normal. And my normal going to outlast your normal. Your normal going to change next week. Right? My normal the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? There was a deviation. Man, the whole, the whole heavens and the earth, everything used to reflect the character of God. Holiness was universal, normal. Then Adam and Eve listened to an idiot snake and decided they could decide good and evil for themselves. And everything went to hell from there. They set the normal. And the first ever new normal happened in the Garden of Eden. It was awesome. It was awesomely awful. It was ridiculous, right? And you know what? Within one generation, Pastor Louie pointed out this morning, within one generation there was murder. And within just a few generations, y'all, the whole planet was so evil that God hit the reset button with the flood. And, and since Noah's time, it actually hadn't gone much better. We keep creating new normals. Every generation redefines a new normal, thinking we can get it better than the last generation. We're just making a bigger mess. The longer we're in control, the bigger a mess it is. Y'all know it's true, right? It's a mess. I want to get back to God's normal, right? And the book of Leviticus details the system. This is where I was studying all week. The system of laws and rights that allowed the people of God to dwell near a God that seemed entirely unapproachable because of their own sin. Why did he seem unapproachable? Because he's on one side of the law and I'm on the other. Right? And we learn these terms in the book of Leviticus. Clean and unclean. Right? So there's these three states, kind of like, you know, water can be solid. And um, come on, y'all that were in biology more recent than me. Physical science, solid, gas, and Liquid, that's the one. Yeah, the one I drink. Yeah. Solid, liquid, and gas. I did not like science. I, the sooner I could be done with that, the better. Um, solid, liquid, and gas, right? Um, so we got these three states going on. We got holy. And um, before Jesus, it was God and God alone. We got holy. And then we got clean. Then we got unclean. And uh, someone made reference tonight to Isaiah saying, Whoa to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I used to think that mean Isaiah admitted he was cussing. <laughs> you know, he probably was, you know. But I learned something. Um, I learned something this morning. Unclean did not mean sinning. Unclean meant anything that reflected the fallen nature of the world. Okay? It's unclean, right? And here's the thing. If anything is unclean, it looks like the world's normal. It can't get close to God and live to tell about it. All right? So um, the priest didn't cleanse himself properly and go strolling into the Holy of Holies, and they got a rope tied around his ankle so they could drag his carcass out because he didn't make it. Y'all, this is real. This stuff happened, right? Um, the sons of Aaron offered strange fire. What was God talking about? They offered fire. They offered an offering in their own way that looked like the fallen world instead of the way God prescribed, and they died right there on the spot. And you're like, man, this don't sound like what they talk about in LTS. He a loving father. He's good. I'm telling you, when unclean gets in the presence of holiness, there's a fire that breaks out, and the unclean don't make it. 
right? So what was all these rites and rituals about in the book of Leviticus? If y'all ever, like I read Leviticus, I'm like, oh my soul, pork, what? And you, what? And, you, and this many doves and oh, so many details. What was all that on about, right? Here was the thing. A holy God wants to be with his people. So he provides a way for them to become clean because clean can enter the, holy pres the, the presence of a holy God and unclean cannot. And unclean is, again, it's just a reflection of, of the fallen world. So even things not sinful, right? So back then they did, Pastor Louis pointed out this morning, they didn't have no funeral homes, right? So a loved one passes away in your tent, you're handling that their body and you're mourning. But now you're handling that body. Y'all know what? Before sin, we weren't supposed to die. People dying, that's the fallen world. So you're now ceremonially unclean. So there's all these things, you know, kill these two doves and make a soap with the, and then wash. And I'm not trying to, I don't mean to make light of it, but it's a lot of details that I'm going to spare you guys, right? But it was all about becoming ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean so that you can enter the presence of God, right? So the point is this, keep, keep, keep this nugget with you. God said, whatever looks like the world instead of like me can't be in my presence. So I don't want to look like the world. I want to look like him. Then y'all, the problem with these, these cleansing rites is they ain't make you permanently clean. So every other day, twice a week, whatever, they're, they're doing these sacrifices and doing this. This morning, Pastor Louis compared it to going to the mall. That is the most brilliant comparison I have heard in my life. Right? I go into the mall and they're the sanitizing thing, walking in the mall and sanitize my hands. Then I go to the first shop. And before you walk in, I gotta do my right and sanitize my hands. I go and I don't even touch anything. And I go out and I go to the next thing. Oh, I went, I don't come in here. You must sanitize. Hey, you know, everyone by the time I leave the mall, I'd have been sanitized eighty five hundred times, right? And a couple weeks ago. It was, it was sanitized 50 times, and it was cold, and I grabbed my hand and went like that, and it bled because it was so dry, you know? Like, man, we sanitized too much. Was that TMI? Sorry, y'all. Right? And the thing is, um, I, I made my hands clean now, but 20 seconds later, I touched something that someone else touched, and I might have got their own off or whatever I touched, so I ain't clean anymore. You know what I mean? Right? And that's the thing. These, um, that sanitizing gel is only good until you touch something. Then it ain't no good no more. But then God sent Jesus. One sacrifice, once and for all. And when his blood touches my life, I am clean forever. Amen. That's the goods, hey? And why did Jesus go to all that? Because God wants to be with you and with me. And that is the return. We deviated from God's normal. But through Jesus, we can return to God's normal. Because, you know, that song, I love that song. I about lost it tonight. Um, I've searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise. All that stuff is never, never enough. All these things. I've searched the whole world. Um, I looked at all this. I tried this. I tried it. None of that mess works. There's nothing like Jesus, y'all. There's nothing like God. There's nothing better. There's no one like him. 
And it's so good that we can return. Hebrews 10.10 says this. We have been made holy. Don't y'all love the past perfect? Now say I love language. So I'm going to tell you quick. The past perfect tense. It means it's finished and it still applies. Right? Isn't that great? See, y'all just got excited about English. That means I'm teaching good. Right? We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He made us holy. Now, hold on. Earlier you said only God is holy. That's what's so good about what Jesus did is he made us holy. Jesus not only made us clean, he made us holy. He reconciled us to the Father. He restored us to the nature God originally shared with us when he created us in his image. And now we are partakers of the very nature of God. Um, get your Berean suit on and study later on tonight. Just check if what I said is true. You'll find it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It's good. It's good. So Leviticus several times gives this command. Be holy for the Lord your God is holy. God was telling his people, don't reflect the sinful world around you. Reflect my character because you belong to me. And this command is echoed in the New Testament. God says, you're mine. Don't look like the new normal that changes every week in the world around you. Look like me because you're mine. Be holy for I am holy. And isn't it great to understand it that way? When, when I was a kid, I read, be holy for I am holy. I was like, it's over. <laughs> Man, you know, I'm going to turn on the TV and see something. Oh, not holy anymore. This is done. You know, I mean, there's no way. I thought it was a checklist, you know, and it's like, I have no hope. I'll never get that right. But actually, God is saying, look like me, right? Think like I think. Treat people like I think. Value what I value. Love what I love. Hate what I hate, right? Look like me. Be holy, for I am holy. That's amazing. And Jesus, once for all sacrifice, makes it possible for us to finally, finally live in that reality. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. In the context, Paul is talking about families and how families work. But he makes this statement about Christ. Right? And I want you to hear what he's saying about Christ. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or without any other blemish, blemish, English, but holy and blameless. Jesus brought us back to the original normal, right? The best by far. We can be like God. Isn't that funny? That's what the devil told Adam and Eve. You can be like God, you know, by by creating your own normal. No, no, no. We can be like God, not by deciding for ourselves, but by reflecting his character in everything we do. Right? The devil gave mankind a cheap counterfeit, and Jesus gave us the real thing. So let's look at the overflow. This is the good, y'all. I'm going to tell you, God's character is amazing. We were, we were just, I did not want to stop singing tonight. Can I be real? Because God was showing himself. And I was just gobsmacked. I was just undone. I just wanted to keep hollering and yelling and just 
worshiping him, we were seeing his character and his power and his goodness and his magnificence and his greatness and his holiness. And God is saying, this is all that I am. And I'm going to share it all with you and not holding anything back. That's the overflow. Let me explain. When Jesus made me holy, how did he do it? And you have been made holy. And some of y'all were like, whoa, 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 I've been made holy. Did you see what I did yesterday? Were you there? I mean, no, I wasn't, but Jesus was, right? And he still said he's made you holy. I'm like, well, explain that to me. I'm so glad you asked. Let me quickly explain that to you. When Jesus made me holy, he did so by recreating the very core of who I am. He took my dead, sin-laden, wrecked spirit and he buried that sucker and he gave me a brand new spirit cut right out of the same fabric of his own being and never been touched by anybody's sin mine or anybody else's alive to God and dead to sin and at the very core of who I am he put that living spirit my spirit and then he caused his holy spirit to dwell inside right Oh, my soul, that's so good. Just amen, let's go home. It's good. Oh, I'm still thankful, y'all. For me, it was 1987. I still can't get over it. I'm still so glad. I'm still so grateful. It's so good, right? It's that born-again experience Jesus told Nicodemus about in John 3. It's that new heart of flesh that he gives in place of my heart of stone that Ezekiel talks about in, in Ezekiel 36. It's that being made alive to God that we read about so powerfully in Romans 6. But now he put it here, but now there's something else required after that. There's got to be an overflow. We've got to have an overflow of holiness. And there's a massive problem today among believers is that we have a holiness in here, but there ain't no overflow. And I can go into the schools um, and into the malls and into the workplaces of Gauteng, and I can't find the believers because there ain't no overflow. And all y'all souls smell and look like everybody else's. I'm talking to myself, too. That's tragic, ain't it? Y'all, we got to knock that off. Ain't nobody going to find Jesus when they can't find him because none of us look and smell like him. We need to overflow. We need, we need to stop in the church going on and on about relevance. And we need to get back to holiness. Hey, relevance never saved nobody, never changed nothing. God never showed up and healed a bunch of people because we were so relevant. Is that all right? No, we don't need relevance. We need holiness. We don't need to show what the world looks like. They know what they look like. We need to show the world what God looks like. He's other than you. He's better than you by far. Come, let me show you something different and something greater and something better. We need an overflow of holiness. There must be an overflow. And they talked about it all through the New Testament. I'm going to give you two examples, right? 
1 Corinthians 6, 8 and 11. Pastor Louie gave this example this morning. Um, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. He said, instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither. And he gives this long list of this, this little list of example sins, right? It's examples. It's not a definitive list. None of these, um, end of verse 10, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Were. But he's writing to people who are busy doing it. And Paul says, that's what you were. Why are you acting like what you were? Act like who you are. But you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Come on, stop acting like what you came from and be who you are. The world needs to see what God is like. They, they know what they're like. Um, then Romans chapter 7. I mentioned Romans 6, being alive to God. And Paul's so excited about it. This is the same guy. One page later. Same guy. He ain't writing about other people. He's writing about himself. Right? Paul said this. Um, verse 15. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, then the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my flesh, my body and my soul. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I do the evil that I don't want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but a sin living in me that does it. And I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, the core of who I really am, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Right? Now, that's a lot of stuff. Here's what he's saying. My spirit was made holy. But see, anybody in here... Um, Lose all your memories when you got born again. Y'all forget, you like get amnesia. Who am I? I know I'm saved, but can somebody tell me my name? Right? Any one of y'all start speaking an entirely different language? I'm not talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, but anyone who grew up after cons and all of a sudden now you're speaking Kaza because you got born again. Like first language. Right? No? You, your mind stayed exactly the same after you got born again. Right? Anybody get your, you know, your hair color and your eye color changed? Right? Hey, you know what? I got saved last week and, you know, I used to be a brunette with blue eyes, but I got saved and now I'm blonde with green eyes. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, right? When we get born again, our spirit is brand new. The old is gone, the new has come, but the soul and the body don't change. Right? And that's where the overflow needs to happen. I discovered this moment in, 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 um, in, in June 1987 when Jesus put a brand new living spirit inside of me. And then he put his Holy Spirit inside of that. And I felt it. And I was like, oh, my word. Oh, this is incredible. And I just, I couldn't. It was so good. The next morning I got up and I realized all my other nonsense was still there with me. And I'm like, what do I do with that? 
Y'all, man, what do I do? And it's that war we're talking about. And here's the thing. If you come to the LTS that they talked about, you'll see this um, illustrated out beautifully. The life and the holiness that God put in my spirit, they got to be an overflow. It's got to work its way into my soul. Right, my spirit was saved, full stop, done and dusted, as we like to say in South Africa, done and dusted. Funus and klar. Amen. My soul is being saved every day. The theologians have a lovely word for this. Sanctification. Hey, sanctified. I feel that. Well. There's some context there, right? Sanctification is a big old fancy word. You know what it means? It means the process of being made holy. Yeah, the process of being made holy. That's all it is. And what is holy? Holy is the character of God. Holy is God's normal. So what is sanctification? Sanctification is God making me look like him more and more every day. Right? God making me more like him. I'm going to sign up for that thing. I want that. I tried me for a long time. Me don't work. I tried the world a lot too. That really don't work. God, make me like you. I want to be like you. All through, I gave you two examples. It's all over the New Testament. You know why? Because, because it's been the same ever since, ever since Adam and Eve made that decision. Right? We are born in sin, and that sin that is in us constantly wages against. Just because I gave my heart to Jesus, sin doesn't go, shame. I guess I'll go now. No, sin says, I'm not quitting. I want to be in charge again. And it stays and it fights to, to take back control, right? And I don't want to be there. I want to look like Jesus. Um, one of the great pictures of aligning with God's normal of holiness and not aligning with man's deviation of ever-shifting normals is found in Romans 12. Now, as a charismatic church, we've read Romans 12, verse 2, several hundred times. Young quote it, right? Let's look at it again. <laughs> Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I just want to quickly look at these words because this is really powerful, right? Conform and transform. Now, what are we talking about tonight? We're talking about patterns out there. We're talking about new normals, constantly being defined, not just by the Rona, but by human beings, ever-changing, right? Um, serious new normals, not just dudes wearing yoga pants in 1701, right? Serious new normals. We're talking about those patterns around us. And to conform is to change according to an external force, right? So... Um, if anybody's ever done metal work, one of the things you can do with metal, um, with thin metal, is you can put that metal around a mold and you can hammer that metal until it's shaped like that mold that you beat it, that you beat on it. You are conforming it to, it, to something external with external force. And God is saying, don't be conformed by everything around you. Because what's in you is a whole lot stronger and a whole lot better than that nonsense that is around you. Don't conform, no matter how much pressure they put against you, right? If you're struggling with the pressures around you, then you need to have a good long look at who is inside of you. 
Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Oh, but you don't understand the pressure. Maybe I don't understand your unique pressure. Maybe not. But man, if you are intimidated by the pressures around you, I would say maybe you need to have a look at God again. Because he is holy. There's nobody like him. There's no one greater. And he has put his life inside of you. Don't conform to the nonsense around you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what is transformation? Transformation is change according to an internal process. Internal, right? Transformation, does. there's nothing external that can cause a transformation. Transformation comes from inside. That word comes to us from the Greek, um, the Greek word for metamorphosis. Right? So transformation is all of a sudden this tadpole is a frog. Where did that come from? Did someone beat him into a frog shape? No, it was encoded in his DNA. Right? I'm going to tell you, next week you can look more like Jesus than you do today because it is encoded in your DNA. Now I might be struggling with this pattern and this struggle and this thing that I knew that I had ever since before I met Jesus and it might be a real struggle but I'm going to tell you what the DNA that God put inside of me is stronger than all the stuff that happened to me from around me and it will conquer all of that nonsense and the longer I walk with Jesus the more I'm going to look like him because he's great greater than anything around me, anything that I've ever done, and anything that anybody else has ever done. God is greater. I ain't fit to be conformed. I'm going to be transformed. You know why? First and foremost, because I love Jesus. I just love him. He's the best. I love my Father in heaven, and I want to be like him. I want to be like him. And a second reason that I'm, that I'm going to be transformed and not conform is I want so many other people to meet him. And if I look just like they did, they do. And I try to tell them about Jesus. They were like, but I don't see any difference. You treat people the same way I do. You sleep around just like I do. You look at the same stuff that I look at. You cheat at work just like I do. Only thing different between you and me is where you are on a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening. Right? Come on. The world needs to see that God is greater. The world needs to see that God is the best by far. Lord, please make me more like you. No matter what it costs. No matter what it costs me. No matter what it costs God. I want to be more like you. So after I was born again, a worship leader and pastor in, in the United States wrote this song. And it's actually, I didn't realize it at the time. I was just a kid in love with Jesus, you know. You know, we sing stuff. We don't understand the theology. We just hope it's good theology. Some songs you learn later. Oh, not singing that again. All right. You know, um, powerful song about sanctification. And it's so easy. There's four lines and three of them are the same. I... Want to be more like you, Jesus. I want to be more like you. I want to be a vessel that you work through. I want to be more like you.
Is that the cry of your heart tonight? However words, whatever words you want to use, if you want to say, sanctify me, God. If you want to say, God, um, make me holy like you. Or if you just want to say, God, I want to be more like you. If that's the cry of your heart, would you start telling him right now? God, I want to be more like you. Let's just respond to the Lord in our seats. Lord, I want to be more like you. And, and would you ask the Lord as you have a conversation with him, would you ask him this? Lord, would you please show me even just one thing in my life where I can look more like you? Is there anything in my life where I'm conforming and I smell just like the unclean normals around me? And would you invite me to rather be transformed and look and smell like you? God, I want your normal. God, I want your normal. I surrender that thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's straight up sin. Lord, I want to repent for this, this, and this. Or maybe it's just been handling this thing and have been around this thing and, um, and, and I'm intimidated by it, but I realize, God, you're in me and you're stronger and you're greater. And Lord, as I, as I go to my workplace or as I'm around my family, Lord, help me to be like you so much that your glory and your holiness overshadows the sin around me. Lord, because you are greater. You're greater by far. You're the best by far. Lord, forgive me for ever being intimidated by, by the moves of the culture around me, for ever being intimidated or afraid of what other people think if I'm different than them, if I don't value the same things in them, if I don't behave the same way that they do. Forgive me for being intimidated by that God, when in reality is the devil should be the one that's afraid because you are greater, God. You are so much greater. And if those people around me who, whose opinion I'm so afraid of, if they really saw you, they would be the one in fear. And they would also be the one in awe. And they would run to you, God. Lord, I lay down my fear of man because I've seen you. And you're scarier than that. And you're also better than that. You're so good. Lord, I surrender to you. I surrender that thing to you. And if the Holy Spirit showed you one area or two areas, one thing, two things, maybe you can write that down and pray it through. I remember last year at one point the Lord spoke, to something, spoke something to my heart. I didn't take you to the chair I was sitting in. And over the next week, every morning, I prayed through that thing. I prayed through that thing until I saw real change in my heart. Maybe you can write that thing down and you can be before the Lord with it. And this week, this week, we can experience the holiness of God overflowing into the rest of our lives. Y'all, it ain't going to overflow from heaven. It's going to overflow from your spirit inside of you because that's where God put it. It's an overflow of holiness. Amen.